Hello, and welcome to the Human Instrumentality Podcast, your guided deep dive into the seminal animated series, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I'm Ian Corey. And I'm Joseph Schaefer. Joining us to talk about the movie Evangelion 3.0, You Can Not Advance, is writer and co-host of the sound-only podcast, Justin Cherry. Since this movie is a brand new plot, we're bringing back the recap. And then we'll bring in Charity for the analysis. The third rebuild film begins with a long, slow tracking shot into a spacecraft entering orbit. It's Asuka inside a reconstructed Unit 2 attacking an angel in low orbit, one apparently containing Unit 1 and Shinji inside of it. She struggles to beat the angel until an assist from a sniper rifle equipped Mari evens the odds. Even so, the angel is a formidable opponent until Unit 1 awakens from inside its tomb, and 86 is the angel before falling back into dormancy. Surviving re-entry, Asuka recovers Shinji and Unit 1. Shinji is rushed to a medical facility inside of a massive sea craft, where he is detained by soldiers at gunpoint, and attended to by... Toji's sister Sakura? Upon awakening, Shinji has been fitted with a DSS choker around his neck, short for Deification Shutdown System. It's a bomb that will detonate if he tries to fully sink with an Ava. He is taken to the bridge of the ship, the Vunder, where an expanded bridge crew looks at him in disgust. The Vunder is commanded by Masato, who has the detonator for the collar and refuses to remove it. Shinji is taken to quarantine when a new series of angels sort of attack. He offers to assist, but is rebuked. The Vunder is powered by Unit 1 and is itself a huge Ava that the bridge crew sinks with via LCL gas. The ship takes to the air and easily kills the angels with its advanced weaponry. For the first time, humanity is able to best its opponents without Shinji at all. A psych test shows that Shinji looks unable to sink with an Ava at all, even though Unit 1 already awakened once. Asuka meets Shinji for the first time since the fight with Bardiel and is unable to hold back her rage at him. She hasn't aged in 14 years. When Shinji asks where Rei is, Masato and Ritsuko confirm Rei was not in Unit 1's entry plug, but his cassette player was, though it doesn't work. As if on cue, a gothtastic Rei 3 attacks the Vunder in a new Evangelion, Unit 09, and springs Shinji from his holding cell. Misato urges him to stay. She says she's now the leader of Vile, an organization dedicated to destroying nerves, Avas. Shinji ignores her and leaves with Rei, but on the way out, Sakura warns him to never, ever enter an Ava again. Misato nearly detonates his DSS choker, but it turns out she doesn't have the nerve, and Rei escapes with Shinji, even after Mari blows her unit's head off. Ray takes Shinji to Nerve HQ, where he finally meets Kaoru, playing a piano, and also his father, who now has Kiel's Zele visor? Gendo presents him with Unit 13, 
a unit that requires two pilots that he should command in tandem with Kaoru. Later, Shinji finds Rei to thank her for keeping the cassette player. Rei now lives in a tent inside Ruined HQ, containing a cleaned-up version of her trap house. Shinji discovers that this Rei has no memories of the previous events since she's a clone, and he decides to bring her books to read since she can't go to school. Elsewhere, Gendo tries to contact Zele, but they've been silent since the near third impact. Kaoru begins jamming with Shinji on the piano to get to know him and to get him reused to syncing with another person. Shinji and Kaoru grow close quickly. The new friends hang out under the stars after practicing, ruminating on the unchanging nature of the universe. Kaoru remarks how Shinji prefers the intractable nature of the cosmos to the fluidity of life on Earth. Somehow, Shinji gets Toji's old shirt from a laundry dispenser, prompting him to tell Kaoru that he misses his friends and is worried about what's become of the Earth. Kaoru shows him the surface, ruined by the near third impact, and tells Shinji that if they restart the fourth impact, they could have the godlike ability to just undo what Shinji caused in the last film. Fuyutsuki plays Shoji with a now-depressed Shinji and explains how his mother was forcibly inserted into Unit 1 in the past, that Rei is her clone, and that Rei has now been assimilated into Unit 1. In this scene, he explains Gendo's plot to right the past's wrongs and retrieve Yui, which will cost him many sacrifices, including his own soul. Shinji tries to connect desperately with Rei 3, who hasn't read any of the books he's given her, and Rei confirms that she is not the Rei from Shinji's past. At that time, Gendo retrieves Unit 13, now complete from its incubator, but Shinji refuses to pilot it in his prerequisite won't-get-in-the-robot moment. Kaoru begs Shinji to trust him and, as a token of faith, takes the DSS choker from him. Together, they activate Unit 13, alerting Misato and triggering the climax, where they descend into Terminal Dogma to retrieve the spears of Longinus and Cassius, with Rei as their backup. In Terminal Dogma, they find Lilith's corpse and the remains of Kaoru's old unit, 06, partially fused to it. At the bottom, Kaoru begins to feel uneasy, sensing that something has changed since he was there last. He doesn't have time to explain, though. Asuka and Mari attack. Asuka nearly has Shinji and Kaoru beat when she runs out of batteries and needs Mari to toss her a spare, giving Shinji time to climb Lilith. Shinji removes the spears, though Kaoru insists that he should not, and Unit 13 awakens. Then Unit 6 awakens, having apparently off-screen been transformed into the 12th Angel, and even though Asuka decapitates it, the Angel begins to assimilate Unit 13. Inside the Eva, Kaoru remarks that he, the first Angel, has defeated himself by unwittingly being transformed into the 13th due to Gendo's ritual. The mission to remove the spears was a trap of some sort. 
In Nerve HQ, Gendo bids farewell to the disembodied Zele, while Fuyutsuki pulls them out of their containers, killing them. Dying, Zele 1 breaks his long silence to approve of Gendo's plan. Unit 13 ascends to the upper atmosphere, with Unit 9 as its attendant, and once again, the chambers of Gafar opened, triggering the fourth impact. All is not lost, though. The Wunder rams Unit 13, attacking it with all of Vile's arsenal. But Unit 9 counters its efforts, now under Zele's control instead of Ray's. Unit 9 begins assimilating the Wunder now, but not before Asuka hops on board and enters beast mode, finally defeating Unit 9 by initiating Unit 2's self-destruct. Inside Unit 13, a despondent Shinji asks Kaoru what he should do. Kaoru assures him that this time, the apocalypse is Kaoru's fault, not his. And to save Shinji, Kaoru impales Unit 13 with the spears, once again averting a total apocalypse. He promises Shinji that they will meet again just before the DSS choker blows his head off. Now inert, Unit 13 falls, and Mari manages to eject Shinji's entry plug from it in midair. In Nerve HQ, Gendo remarks that all of this is somehow still according to plan? What? 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 And now that Kaoru, Zele's creation, is dead and Unit 13 has awakened once, he can put his own plan into effect. On the ruined Earth's surface, Asuka rescues a totally emasculated Shinji from his entry plug, berating him before they're joined by Ray 3. They've all landed too far from civilization to be rescued, and need to trudge forward through the wastelands. As they walk to the horizon, Shinji leaves his cassette player behind, and Ray 3 picks it up. <laughs> Okay. Three-way sync. I love it. Um, Even this movie doesn't go quite that over the top. <laughs> right. Three-way <laughs> Settles at two. <laughs> Wait, is that in Thrice Upon a Time? Because now the, I haven't seen Thrice yet. So like now I'm thinking that's actually a realistic I, thing that could happen. Yeah, the way that the stakes keep escalating from in each of these rebuilds, I wouldn't be surprised if they all get into one Ava by the end of the <laughs> <laughs> They just do a Power Rangers bit. They should do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that. But can you imagine, like, the weird sexual tension of <laughs> all four, five, or six pilots in, like, all in the same entry plug? They put Kaji in there too, just for, just throw him in there. He's not even a pilot. Yeah, why not? <laughs> hey guys, how are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Especially like creepy rebuild Kaji. Yeah. He's such a fucking weirdo in the second movie. Oh my god, I'm just picturing like the the Captain Planet version of it, like narcissism, depression, egolessness with your powers combined. <laughs> you know, we are a major personality disorder. Yeah, right. We are the DSM. Yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're starting off laughing, which is which. But you know what? I'm actually into it because I I thought this is the the most I've smiled at the end of an Evangelion anything, Ex except for the first rebuild 
film. At the end of that, I was like, big, stupid grin. This one also, big, stupid grin. Uh, I guess we'll get into it, but I feel like first we have to introduce our guest for this episode. That so, is correct. I'll give you the honors. Sure, sure. Okay. Joining us today, uh, the co-host of the Sound Only podcast and the compiler of the compilation album is Justin Charity. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. Thank you for having me. You shouted out not only the podcast, but also the compilation album, my, my, news, my poorly tended to newsletter that is nonetheless <laughs> my pride and joy. Uh, thank you. <laughs> that's you two you two are on the newsletter kick i have i've n- not gotten back at, like mm. the idea of having that volume of extraneous writing yeah. <laughs> on my workload terrifies me that terrifies me too i just lead into the terror you know for those who are not familiar uh sound only is or started as an evangelian recap podcast not too dissimilar um from our own it's one I listened to frequently before we started this up. I was really delighted to see it pop up on the Ringer Podcast Network. Um, first of all, just congratulations on getting an anime podcast onto the Ringer. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right? It, was, it was serendipitous, man. I will say that you all have you all are taking as far as recapping Ava, right? Your approach is a lot more sustainable because our our approach was. You know, we did it in six episode batches, basically, you know, five or six six episode batches. And I just remember the recording sessions were like a bender every single time. <laughs> was like, like two episodes, a lot more manageable. Your analysis is a lot more clean. You know what I mean? What? How did you settle on that format? Was it just like keeping it short for people that maybe weren't? familiar with the show like how did it end up being like six episodes at a time well it's sort of like you said right it's an anime podcast there was a purely you know anime recap podcast on the rare podcast network and i was just so self-conscious when we were pitching it i was just like we got to do this efficiently you know i feel like we can if we make it this super potent you know a handful of episodes that go all the way from the beginning through the movie that could work um because i didn't i really didn't want to sit up in a situation where we were doing you know one per episode and then and we're like oh what's going on here <laughs> especially like thinking about getting to magma diver and all that stuff i was just like <laughs> it's like no we gotta plow through this we gotta go i liked mm-hmm. recapping magma diver weirdly enough like that part of this series was way more enjoyable to do with ian than i like had had thought Mm -hmm. it's not a hate watch by any means it's just kind of like this movie like when you you think about ava you think about the end i think yeah that i agree with that yes right Mm -hmm. you know so like i was like oh well you just sort of need to like plow through the monster of the week like arc i i guess but it it felt really good to me yeah the the episode i think about that 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 i think about that way is the jet alone i always tell myself that i hate the jet alone episode but then when you watch it it's just such a bizarre episode and it doesn't fit in a way that i actually find kind of refreshing whenever i rewatch the original series (laughs) um man that episode is strange (laughs) we i don't know if you listen to all of our episodes but we go on like a full hate (laughs) (laughs) one like that's that's where we lose our composure for the first time and just start shitting on it like yeah no that that episode is like when you're you know those scenes in court in a in a in a tv show where the judge is like you know i'll let you go on counselor but you better watch where you're going with this that's what that episode (laughs) feels like to me yeah i'm I'm with you 
Well, you've already proven something in, in the course of this conversation, which is like, so when we, when Ian and I reached out to you about maybe doing this, by the way, first of all, thanks, because I literally was expecting no reply ever. No. Like, I was expecting abject radio silence. No, you think I don't love talking about Ava? I mean, damn, you know, always, <laughs> I'm always down. Well, it's just people are busy. You've got, you've got shit to do. Yeah. Like, I, I well, know. it's like you emailed me and I, 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 and then I went back and I was like listening to the episodes and I mean the sheer tonnage of Kierkegaard analysis that has gone into the, discussing the show in this particular part. I was like, nah, I definitely got to get in here. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Like that's very much my experience with Ava is I watched it in high school and then I went to college and for my first year and a half of college was obsessed with Kierkegaard. <laughs> so I was just like, all right. right, yeah, these are my people. Let's go. <laughs> you know? I did the same. I did the yeah. exact same thing. <laughs> also, also, that was the episode where I accidentally took one of my girlfriend's Adderalls, not my own. Um, and she's on a higher dose. So and I started like peaking mid episode. Oh man! So my heart was going at like sixty miles a minute, and I just couldn't stop talking. And and time started dilating for me. I was in the Duroxy going yeah. crazy. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> it's where you hate to be, you know. No, it was kind of a, it was kind of a blast actually. Um, but mm-hmm. so when you when you responded to my email inviting you to be on the podcast after saying yes, you said. Something that like has really stuck with me, which is that like it is more difficult to have a good conversation about the rebuilds than the series or or end of Ava. I, I would still counter that it's impossible to have a good anything with death and rebirth. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you're I think you're right, which is why like doing these projects is like an interesting challenge. And I think also maybe part of why Ian and I didn't initially plan on doing but why is that like we agree but why from your perspective is it harder to talk about the rebuild movies well i guess the short answer to that for me is that they're not finished yet yeah at least they weren't when we started conceptualizing them and i just have a lot of trouble figuring out like how to approach something that isn't done like without knowing how it all wraps up i can't look backwards and figure out like what was this all supposed to mean in some way? But I also think that there's like a higher degree of like interference or maybe that's too aggressive of a word, but there's a lot more chefs in the kitchen and there's a lot more going on. And these movies are kind of pulled in a bunch of different directions that makes it hard to tell, like, what should I actually pay attention to here? Like what is, what is being told to me? How about you, Joseph? Well, like, so Ian and I both both come from a music writing background, and, and so do you, mm-hmm. which is like an interesting lens to come at critical analysis from. And so, like to me, like the closest example to these to these movies I can think of that isn't in cinema is like a remix album, right? Yeah, yeah. and like, I, but the difference is like remix albums have like a history and a culture that is like traceable, and there's like already been a lot of analysis of it. So like it's easy for me in my head to start to like shift my gear into how I'm going to analyze a remix album for for what it is. Ian just released a remix album, so like this it's is true. It's really interesting timing, right? But like there's there there are no remix movies. <laughs> it's it's like not done. Right. It's not a thing that that happens for the most part. Like, except for like anime and specifically V's like on like a such a big budget with so much hype and so much remixing that it it just like presents 
a greater uphill climb to even like begin to pull them apart to me. To, to my mind, it's really, I think it begins and ends with the difference between TV and movies, right? Because I think with the, the original Evangelion, I mean, we obviously have the advantage of the original series is done. We've had a lot of time to think about it. But it's also that when you're watching episode one or episode 26 of that series, you're watching these things that were made in a span of time that feels like it was a distinct span, right? Whereas with these rebuild movies, there's a sense of... You are so, I think, conscious of the fact that whatever was happening during the making of Ava Rebuild 1 is very different and ideas were different and the outlook on the the overall series was different than when they were making Ava Rebuild 3. They're just so far apart in time compared to when you're making Episode 1 versus Episode 3 of a TV show. And that's the, mm-hmm. I think the, dis- even just at face value, when you look at the differences between the movies, it kind of keeps me off guard a lot of the time. Like just the fact that Ava 2 and Ava 3 just look so different to me. The visual language is so different. The, the incorporation of CG is so different. It's a thing that even I think once we have the fourth movie out in the West. I don't know that I'm ever going to feel like I can look at all four of those movies at the same time in the same way that I can look at the 26 episodes of the TV show and go, I am looking realistically at one distinct span of a thing. Totally. I think that actually that somewhat lends itself better to the way that we're doing this analysis, which is we're kind of taking each of these movies as like discrete objects unto themselves. Um, Like, just breaking the fourth wall here. This is the first one that we're recording. Like we haven't done episodes or rebuilds one and two yet. Mm-hmm. And I actually don't feel like that's a problem because as you said, the gap of time between each of these is so great. In some ways, I actually feel like there's that sort of meta narrative that we talk a lot about with the series of it, like going off the rails as it went on and it not going to plan. And I feel like that was part of the pitch for these movies was that, well, this time we're going to do it all correctly. It's all going to be under control. And instead, this is the one that has gone completely off the rails by comparison. At at the same point in time in the plot. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But this time it feels, it doesn't, it doesn't have that feeling of like, like the weirdness of like the end of the series to go back to like the the music metaphor to me feels like you're a longtime David Bowie fan and he starts doing the Berlin albums, right? Like it's a result of like maybe pathology in Bowie's case, he's doing like shit tons of cocaine and, and binging on the occult, right? But like, it's an organic, like he's improvised and experimented his way into destroying rock music yeah. as a rock album. And yeah. in the same way, Anna was like, at the end, and by the way, since we're redoing, you cannot redo. I should I should say that Shinji Higuchi deserves more credit than we gave him in the initial season. I've talked about. I'm going to talk about that in in other rebuilds, but every time I say it, like now I've got to like clarify that because Shinji Higuchi has does not have co-directing credit on this one, but I think he 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 at least took part in like a couple of the rebuilds, and I know he's he's co-director of like Shin Gojira, which is what. Ano did yeah, after this. Which I, that I love, but that's a, a whole other podcast episode, isn't it? <laughs> I, I love it. I love it too. <laughs> I saw that movie in Tokyo. I saw it in Roppongi. I happened to be on vacation when that movie was in its theatrical run in Japan. And I almost that's did get in the dope. theater because I had a miscommunication with the attendant who was like, no, no, it's not in English. Like you can't, she was trying to say that like, are you 
fine with it. But she said it as you can't come in. I was like, I just want to see it. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that movie is tight. I love that movie. I like that movie too. Th- that to me, that movie feels like I think I said this on the show. Too, that movie feels like an episode of Evangelion yeah. that just happens yes. to not have any of the main cast in it. Yes, but has the score. Um, has the score. <laughs> right. This is also the first time we're doing anything Ave related that I haven't seen before. Because I've I'd seen uh, Rebuild One okay. and I'd seen Rebuild Two, and Two left such a bad taste in my mouth that I didn't really? watch okay. Three before we decided to do this. Okay. I Two made me so mad i liked two i will say three and i guess we're going into the conversation of three i find three to be the most off-putting movie i have ever seen in my life and i don't even mean that as an insult i kind of mean it as a compliment but this movie Mm -hmm. this is the movie that infuriated me the first time i've seen it and yet i think it's aged well yeah exactly i had the same feeling like i actually i really liked one and two when i saw them as they were coming out and hated three yeah. so much. And I think part of that has to do actually with the rip of it that I was watching because the beginning is so chaotic yes. and like so CG centric yeah. that if you're watch it, watching it on like a low bit rate, it literally just looks like nothing. Yeah. Like, yeah. And so it's aged well, both like in terms of the actual content, but it's actually just like easier to watch now by comparison too. I agree. Yeah. Well, I think we actually have like, I think we actually maybe disagree about the beginning because I actually think the beginning of, of the movies really like that. That was one thing that struck me immediately was I was like, Oh, it opens with an action sequence. That's dope. Like the idea of like, we're going to do like a borderline one shot to begin or like it opens with a long one -er close quarters fight dropping from orbit. Yeah. It's got like mission impossible energy to it, but I I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. Like I'm okay with Ava having more mission impossibleness in it, in a movie. Like, please do that. Well, I love the ribbon angel in the beginning, but I think the, the thing that gets to me is the air ship sequence after that. I think that's when I first get thrown for a loop by this movie but the first eight the angel in the in space is great i love that sequence I, yeah I, I felt the same way about the fact that it's those two sequences back to back with pretty much no time in the middle is part of what makes the beginning of this movie feel so overwhelming yeah. and disorienting yeah, i agree but considering that they literally put us into shinji's point of view where he's strapped down on the gurney and looking around like the cockpit it's like it's basically showing that like our level of disorientation in the beginning is mirroring Shinji's return to this world and not knowing what the fuck has happened in the meantime. Totally. Yes. But I don't know. So in terms of Shinji coming back, right? Like Shinji waking up in the beginning of the movie though. I I get the disorientation. I feel that. But the characters are so the characters who aren't Shinji, right? I think specifically Masato in those early scenes is so different. And apart from being thrown for a loop by the circumstance, I think there's this sense of being thrown for a loop by all the character development that you apparently missed during this 14-year <laughs> gap, right? But I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I think that's also... I think that's the where the real disorientation happens. Like, there's sort of the visual disorientation of watching wonder fly up out of the out of the sea but 
again, like this sort of parallel thing that keeps happening in the show of the action just being like the literalized version of the sort of emotional chaos that's happening inside of the characters. And Shinji not being able to recognize that it's the same, like he sees it as Masato, but it's not the same Masato. Right. And he sees all of these various characters that it looks just enough like the world that he left behind that the changes are all the more jarring. And I think like you're kind of like, it's it was interesting looking at both of your notes and I know Joseph is a fan of the new Masato look and Justin, you are not. Those, yeah. And I feel like both of these are true. Like you're supposed to sort of be like, this isn't right. Yeah. Right off the bat. Right. But I like, I don't know. I, I like Misato in general, but like there's something about comrade Misato that, that feels <laughs> triumphant to me. Um, <laughs> the tall hat works. I mean, at the same time, it, it um, visually in that, in that scene, it's very, it's a very different scene and the characters are very different from what we're, from what we're accustomed to in the previous two films and, and the original series, but the circumstance is really similar, right? It's just Mis Misato is Gendo now. Right. Yeah. Just a different, just a different kind of authoritarian leader. To, to the extent right? that even Ritsuko now reacts to her the way Masato used to react to Ritsuko. Ritsuko is like, you sure you want to do this? Like she all of a sudden <laughs> is, that's how extremely Gendo like Masato has become. I think, one thing that I just didn't appreciate for a while until I watched this movie a few times, right, is that so much of this movie is about agency and moving on and such that I, I don't know. It's sort of the hackier thing to do would be to make a movie like this, right? Such a big brand, Evangelion, right? Make a movie where you have a 14 year time skip and yet every character is just the same, right? The hackier thing to do would be. Shinji wakes up and Masato's the same old Masato and Asuka's the same old Asuka, right? right? And you can't do that, though. You can't do that, one, with the amount of time that's passed, and two, with the nature of the transformation that's happened since Ava 2. I, I think that's so much of what's going on in that scene, is the sense of, especially in a show that's so obsessed with the idea of growing up and how we process growing up and, and becoming adults... These characters, it, it would be kind of ridiculous if we recognized Masato after all of this, right? Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, they really clue in with that with Asuka in particular because it's almost like it's having it both ways. The fact that she is li literally looks the same yeah. other than the eye patch, but is it's clear that a lot has happened and the eye patch kind of stands in for everything that has happened in the meantime. Like Shinji's like, where'd that come from? And she says, none of your business sort of to like show that like life has continued without you. Like you're not like your presence does not make the universe happen. You know, like all these characters lives are just going to keep going, whether you're here or not. And that's the real source of horror and disorientation uh, for Shinji is like the world does not revolve around him the way that it did in the show. Okay. But you, but you're, but you're hinting at, you say that and, <laughs> and on a plot level, that's true. Right. But at the same time, the big the, the only reason that I don't like this movie as much as this season and, and end of Evangelion, I think, because it makes a lot of choices I really, really, really like. But my, my problem is, is that the series and even end of Evangelion, even though like the metaphysics are like hard to track and, and the, the teeth of the gears don't exactly like mm -hmm. meet there, at least for the first three quarters on like a character beat syncretic logic level. 
it's really meticulous and, and, and planned out. They like going back to the beginning of the podcast, right? In the second episode, you see the cranes putting the guns in the fucking holsters that Shinji's going to pull out in the fight of the next episode. They're, they're setting it up, right? Mm -hmm. In this movie that doesn't exactly like really happen because Shinji's like, where's your eye patch come? And she says, none of your business where the, anyone who just saw the last movie, like I did the night before is like, bro, you were in unit one when it like bit into her and they threw her in the like molten hospital coffin forever. <laughs> like, do you remember this shit? No shit. She lost it. She just lost an eyeball. That's the fucking crazy part. Like, why doesn't <laughs> she have an Imperator Furiosa hand? <laughs> I, right. You were there. You were fucking there. You know where her eye went. Yeah, it's silly I to me. That, but this kind of comes back over and over again. Like he's in unit one as he's causing the world to end at the end of rebuild two. And yet when Kaoru shows him the ruined world, he's like, wait, what? Like, dude, that's crazy. That's crazy, bro. <laughs> <laughs> wait, can I just note though that we've, okay. So we've talked about Masato, Ritsuko, Asuka. We have not talked about the first character shown in this movie who is Mari. Right. And I'm curious what you two think of, we can speak in general, but obviously we're speaking about this movie in particular. But Mari, mm -hmm. Mari, go. Oh <laughs> why are you? Why are you telling us to go? You're the what? guest. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay, can I just? I I wrote in my notes. I I really believe Mari is the Qui Gon Jinn of these movies, in the sense Correct. that you know, it Ava two sets up the idea that this is going to start to go left, right? And one of the more conspicuous things in Ava 2 is that Toji's arc doesn't happen. And the way they sort of redo the whole Shinji having to beat one of the Avas is it's Asuka, right, who's in that Ava. And then yeah. Mari is the one who in the subsequent fight with the ribbon angel, the the you guys' favorite angel with the ribbon arms. Zeruel. Yeah, yeah. Zeruel. Not this, not this Zeruel. This is not my <laughs> not Zeruel. Not <laughs> But, they massacred my boy. But, <laughs> so they basically, they've shoved Toji to the side in Ava 2. And they're setting up this this idea in Ava 2, too, that also that Mari is some sort of agent. <laughs> she parachutes into the school. You know, they set all this intrigue up with Mari. And I think in this movie in particular, every time Mari does or says something... I, I think to myself, or write in my notes, I kind of wish this character was just Toji. <laughs> right. Co correct. So my, my general take is that they kind of painted themselves into a corner with Rebuild 2 because in introducing like a new character, kind of obviously there's like merchandising implications for something like that. The fact that it's a character like Mari and not Toji is way easier to sell to the horny Ava fan base. And then I think that Rebuild 2 kind of goes out of its way to do these sort of twists for those in the know, you know? Like having it be Asuka instead of Toji in Unit 4 is like the kind of thing that is, how do we keep that scene surprising yeah. for people who have watched the show? But then when they try to like slam End of Ava into the Zeruel fight with a character that we've never met instead of Toji, it just feels like they've, they've sacrificed the integrity of the plot for like shock value. And suddenly there's like this fight scene at the end of the movie that doesn't feel like it actually means anything compared to its original version in the show, at least to me. And so, yeah, Mari's presence in this film 
to me is pretty conspicuous. Like it feels like the one thing that's really tying this movie as like a sequel to the rebuilds rather than a continuation of end of Ava, which it almost works as like, if it was Toji instead of Mari, you could almost watch this after end of Ava Kaoru stuff aside, and it would make sense thematically, but if yeah, it's a fly in the ointment for me for sure. But she's also such a bit player in this movie that it doesn't bother me as much as it does in in Rebuild Two. Yeah, it's it's so she's minor in certain ways, but I think it's two things with me. One, they really try to sell you in this in the few moments she has. It feels like they're trying to sell you on the enigma, right? They're trying to sell you on the idea that by Ava Four you will understand what's going on with this character. And it just feels like it's putting a lot of chips on that. And so, you know, God bless. But two, yeah, I don't I don't know. I I don't know if you guys play like the Persona games, but Persona. I am not, but I'm, I'm not a Persona guy, I'm, but I've heard a lot about it for sure. They do. I'm going to from hearing you fucking talk about it on the ringer all yeah. the time. I, I thought I had like sworn JRPGs off as like taking too much like time even though i always love them but like hearing hearing you talk about that games has made me like okay i maybe i maybe i will dip into the sauce again which is that persona games they're already long right but they'll you know atlas will release a persona game and then a two years later they'll release the updated version of that game before they get around to the sequel and that updated version you know the deluxe version of the game always comes with oh and we added a new character Here's the hip new character. And that character is always kind of like, ugh. <laughs> and I think Mari is the deluxe persona edition new character that they've put in. And I, it's, it's, not, it's more so, like you said, it, she does feel kind of, you know, for a series that I think people look at and are really committed to saying everything in this has meaning. This is really, you know, Ano is usually very meticulous. Things feel really well written and intentional. Mari does kind of have this feeling of, yeah, she's in here for really obvious commercial reasons that have nothing to do with storytelling. Is It's like the, the Poochie effect in Simpsons, yeah. you know? Like, right. Or to draw another JRPG analogy, like in Final Fantasy X2, she's the, the pain. Yeah, she's the pain. Oh, right. She's pain. She's yes. totally pain. That's great. That is, thank you for that. <laughs> I, uh, she's all of Final Fantasy X too. Like Final Fantasy X <laughs> two does presence. not <laughs> does not need to exist. Um, <laughs> I love X two. I yes. The combat system is really good. In the that combat game. system's fun. Re- Rebuild should have been the Yuri Pa. It should have been Mari, right. Oscar, and Ray. <laughs> here's I'm gonna say this when we cover Rebuild two. But here here's me saying it again. But also for the first time. How is that possible? But it is. I am positive. Positive. That, like, Mari was a concession to financiers. Oh. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm positive that there were, like, board meetings where... Because Gynax doesn't make the rebuilds, right? Mm-hmm. And Anno's been in lawsuits with his former co-workers over, like, Ava-related stuff. I, like, this is public knowledge, even though translating Japanese legal documentation to American documentation. I have a little bit of professional experience with that. It's a fucking nightmare. So so I don't know what all the details are, but I know that's true. My my guess is, you know, there was probably some sort of meeting where Otto had to talk to a potential investor, you know, and be like, 
we're gonna go back to it i'm not gonna do a sequel but it will be different by the end i want to use this technology this is the kind of budget we could do you know there will be more evangelions it will be more toyetic i promise you and then probably like an investor says that sounds great you have a history of of public you know mental problems interfering with product development and also suing your old co-workers so i'm going to do a little bit of researching it back to you and they probably came back to him and said this is actually given all the potential liabilities a really good deal but we need to market a girl yeah, yeah. there will be another girl a different girl and there will be a pinky van Kellyan. you will mm-hmm. you will make these toys for us and he was probably like fuck <laughs> he took his glasses off just like that. And you can't see that yeah. if you listen to the podcast, but I <laughs> And it was special. I do that a lot. Galaxy Brain Defense, though. Right. One of the things that I like about this movie in particular is the way that Villa is a international organization that's yeah. fighting against Nerve. Yeah. And there is something kind of cool about like the two European Ava pilots teaming up, like between Asuka and and Mari. Something about that is kind of neat, and I think it sort of works in the context of this movie alone, but taken with the more grody, like, body pillow shit that happens in Rebuild 2, it does leave a sour taste taste in my mouth. That's the best I can do for my galaxy brain defense of Mari's inclusion in this movie. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. It's weird that Mari is like this vaguely sinister character too, because she has all these moments where like the implication is that maybe she's not quite so helpful to Asuka as she could be for, for like personal reasons. And also she has that like bit at the end where she's like, "Mm, I don't know. Fourth impact might be kind of fun. I don't know. Maybe I don't help. Um, And I'm like sitting here. I'm like, you saw the third one. It's just the same thing with Kaoru doing it, right? Like, they always look the same. Chamber of Guff, Angel Wings, Burning Crosses. We've all seen this shit, right? Like, what do you expect to be different? You were there in the last movie. Mm -hmm. She does kind of work as a fan insert in that way. Like, if you take even some of her dialogue in Rebuild 2 and in this one, it's sort of like the fan fiction character being like, I actually kind of like Ava and I kind of want to see more Ava. And so if I can just sort of tag along and shoot a few bullets at Ray every once in a while, just to keep the plot going, like that's fine by, by me. Right. Um, Mari also gets like one of the better lines of the movie where she's talking to Asuka after Asuka first meets Shinji again. And it's like, yeah, you kind of wanted to go see him because he's cute. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That is a good moment. Yeah, for the fact that she's not that well-developed, I do think that there are little moments. It's the smallest moments with Mari that I think carry the most weight. And it's Mm -hmm. the more deliberate stuff with her that feels the most cynical. So kind of continuing on that, you made a really good point in your notes, Justin, about Shinji's character design being sort of noticeably different in these movies uh, to look more like Gendo. Yeah, it feels like an overall thing, right? Where the... Again, this is because these things are movies and there's time passing and it feels like the animation techniques are a little bit different between the movies. But I just noticed that when Shinji, you know, in the scene when he's in the cockpit with Masato and everyone's glaring at him, you know, it's his character design. I think they're also just communicating that he's kind of not, you know, he's he's got sleep face. Right. But just the contours Mm -hmm. of his eyes and his bone structure around his cheeks. I just can't 
I look at that and I think back to the Fuyutsuki flashback episode in the original series of what Gendo looks like when Fuyutsuki fishes him out of jail, right? It's everything mm-hmm. in his face is so Gendo. And then you're watching the parts of the movie where there's Gendo, but you can't really see, you don't get that, you don't get that glimpse of Gendo's face because he's wearing those stupid glasses. All these characters in this movie with their stupid future glasses. But yeah, I just there's so much Gendo in Shinji's face when he wakes up. And I thought that was notable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's one of the big themes I think of end of Ava that, you know, that episode of ours hasn't come out yet by the time of this recording, but the, one of the big themes is Shinji becoming Gendo, like Shinji actualizing Gendo's dreams and feeling the same degree of like self-hatred and drive towards self-destruction that Gendo does. And so there's this kind of like cyclical repetition between the two of them. Yeah. Uh, going back to Gendo's new glasses, they're actually like, they look like Kiel's visor. They are. Yeah, they're yeah. Kiel's visor. Yeah. So in the same way that like Masato has become Gendo with the shades, Gendo has become Kiel. So everyone's like moving up station to station to bring it back to David Bowie and the Tree of Life. Yeah. Like that's kind of the pattern that's being shown in this movie, which I think is a nice touch. There was one sort of interesting thing about the character designs that, if we're talking about the character redesigns, it's weird to me that that um, Ian hasn't already brought Asuka's eye patch up again because Ian loves Twin Peaks. This is true, and and to me, like I can't look at Asuka and not see the twin, the deliberate Twin Peaks reference. It mm-hmm. has to, be. Mm-hmm. and maybe also like a Venture Brothers reference, right? Because at this point, <laughs> this movie had to start going into development after Venture Brothers already had. It's also an end of Ava reference. It's picking up visually right. where end of Ava left off with the eye patch. And also True. like there's in that same sequence, you see that her like plug suit is entirely like torn up and literally has like duct tape holding it. Together. Yeah. Her left leg is just taped up. You know, it, mm-hmm. it's like a combination of is this athletic tape or is her leg being held? To, is she sort of like, does she suffer a mortal combat fatality? And this is just <laughs> all they can do for her. Judging by Rebuild 2, I'd say yes, yeah. you know, <laughs> like you also in your notes, you mentioned the sort of like the the amount of like overdoing it that there is in the, these movies. Yeah, I think it I don't know how much of it, it is a reference to to Twin Peaks deliberately, but I do get like big uh, season three of Twin Peaks vibes in this in that it's like, yes, resuscitating something that is dead and coming back after like a predetermined like decade plus of time. And now that it's arrived, it doesn't look right in some way. And that is something that I, the reason that I like this movie more than the other two rebuild movies is that it leans into that. Like it justifies that sense of unease and the sense of literally going back and trying to do something again. If, even if it's maybe not that great of an idea to do it. Yeah, even even Shinji's even how Shinji ends up piecing out from captivity with Villa, right? It, that just feels like such a different moment, right? The mm-hmm. the fact that they treat him like shit, which is a thing that happens to Shinji Ikari a lot in the lineage of Evangelion. But in that moment it's just like, "Well, fuck y'all, then. I'm out." But bye. <laughs> well, I can't remember the actual logic of how that scene is so that's one of those chaotic moments. So it's when they introduce the DSS choker. Masato's like, yo, if I push this button, your head's going to blow off. But then what else is going on in that scene where... So, Ray attacks the ship. 
and Shinji starts to hear Ray's voice in his head, which to me, because it never comes up again in this movie, seems just like a full psychotic break. Ray crashes into the room, tears it open, and Shinji basically says, well, you just said you didn't want me to pilot the Eva anymore. So these people do want me. Like, Ray still wants me in some way, so I'm just going to go with the people that want me versus the people that have actively said that they do not want me. Well, but also, what's the first thing he says? Like, his, I think his first line of dialogue in the movie, or if not, it's the first three, is like, where's Ray? Yeah, like, right. yeah. That's, it's like, his, I saved her, right? I saved Ray. Show me Ray. Right. It's his his whole character arc is toward... This feels very much like, like Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock to me. And Ray is Spock. Like the whole, even though like Ray also like is Spock. That is like the the three Ava pilots have the the Star Trek character dynamic. Yeah, yeah. Except Kirk is a wimp instead of like too tough, right? That's that's the <laughs> same thing. That Doc McCoy is Oscar, who knows who's always right but is too gruff to make any sense. And Ray is Spock, who can't feel feelings right, um, and is secretly terrifying. Same fucking deal, right? So this does have that same character, like, organization to me where, like, Shinji's whole, like, internal guidance system is aligned toward Rei instead of the other characters, which is weird that this is, like, more Kaoru than than anything else they've ever done, right? Yeah. Kaoru has more screen time in this movie than I think everything else put together. Yeah, yeah. But before I get to him, the... the one of the reasons that this is disorienting, and I'm only now realizing this as we're talking about it, is every other Evangelion time they've told the story, it's in a centralized location with quick cutaways to, to other locations, right? This isn't this is a road movie, weirdly enough. Mm-hmm. It it has like I get the Mad Max feeling from the start in its franticness in its introduction of like megalomaniacal characters that have like sort of averted Shinji from his previous course. Right. And he like acquires helpers. We already know them, but he doesn't know them yet. He's never met Ray three. He's never met Kaori yet. Right. So he like picks up his helpers along the way and they go toward the final destination. Right. I sort of thought, just from like reading the descriptions of the movie, I thought this was going to be Thelma and Louise, but it's Shinji and Kaoru looking for Ray. Like mm. in one Evangelion is what I thought I was going to get. And I kind of do. Right. A little bit. The, there is an interesting directional thing that I noticed with this movie is that everything is constantly descending. Like from the very right. beginning of the movie, it's Asuka descending from space. Mm-hmm. And then they descend to Earth. The wonder takes off. And then Ray comes and grabs Shinji. And then they descend and descend and descend further and further into Nerve. And that basic downward trajectory carries all the way to the finale of the movie yeah. with Kaoru and Shinji. Right. Uh, and there's this great, like, it's kind of like a blink and you miss it shot of as Ray's leading Shinji through the ruins of nerve. And there's this crane that's like smashed up against a wall and it just says danger. And they like walk under it. And to me, that was like, so, you know, abandon all hope, you know, you enter here kind of thing. Like, I think that they're very deliberately setting up that sort of directional movement from the world of the sky that Misato and Villa uh, inhabit to the underworld that Gendo inhabits, you know? You saying it's Dante's Inferno now? Mm-hmm. Into it? 
into it. That is the vibe of the HQ, right? But it, it, right. it's haunting, right? It looks... Although, Ray's little apartment, I would consider an upgrade. She kind of has more of a boho vibe because she, <laughs> she has that very fashionable lamp. Right. And even the way she speaks to Shinji in the beginning, she sounds more like a stoner than Ray. Because <laughs> right. the one question Shinji asks, and Ray's just like, I don't know. <laughs> She's like, oh, wow, okay. There's a funny way that like her eyes are animated, too, in that scene where one of them looks like distinctly smaller than the other. Mm-hmm. I took a screen cap of it, and I'll probably post it along with the episode. I just find it hilarious, because she just has this weird like fish-eyed look <laughs> at him. Um, you'll also know one thing I really liked in that scene is Shinji's like oh put on some clothes I don't want to come in here and all she does is put on the plug suit yeah she doesn't have yeah. any other clothes, other clothes. And right she, like, and that's how she explains it too. she's just like I'm just sitting here I'm sitting around waiting for orders that's all I got mm-hmm. um, so of course she puts on the plug suit right like well she's she's dominatrix ray now yeah. right and so <laughs> she's yeah. and so she's she's got lower east side dominatrix apartment yeah, right she, it's in a huge building but it's a little studio apartment mm-hmm. that's meticulously clean and all the storage apparently is used for uh, her her work outfit and she's wearing right? all and she's wearing black now right right, right. <laughs> this this movie does a few interesting things of like returning to the parts of the show that rebuild to kind of skipped past to get to end of Ava. Cause we get the entire like Ray three arc here. Ray two in rebuild two is socialized to a much greater degree than Ray ever was in the show. Yeah. And I think that's all a setup to when we meet Ray three in this movie, the really disconcerting quality of the fact that it's a brand new Ray. We're kind of at like the starting point all over again with rebuilding her humanity. And that's one of the interesting differences in doing this in a movie versus doing it yeah. on an episode to episode basis is they feel the gulf between those two rays feels much wider between the two rebuilds than the sort of gradual process that we have going along with that character arc in the show. I don't know if that felt that way. To yeah. Too, and but. I actually think that's where I really start to want to give credit to these movies because I think, um, you can take for granted that these got made as movies, right? But, you know, you can imagine an alternative world in which they took the full metal alchemist approach, which is popular mm. TV series, popular enough that it just gets remade as another TV series, right? But I actually think, Anno, I think, I think the people making the rebuild movies really do make the most of the fact that they are working in a different format, right? And it's why, right. like, it's why that kind of distance, right? And how disorienting it is and how intentional it feels, that matters to me. And it, it, again, it's sort of, that's them saying, what can we do now that we're making movies, right? What can we do that we couldn't really do when we were making a week-to-week TV series? But yeah, I think just, I, I remember thinking that Ray... I, I just sort of put her in the category as Masato and Oscar, right? Where I was just like, this is too different the first time I watched this movie. Mm-hmm. But I hadn't really thought about the movie that much until, you know, at, at the time compared to now, where I'm like, okay, yeah, this feels like, I don't know, it feels deliberate and it feels smart. Do, are there any other things about like the moviness of this movie that jump out to you as like particularly noteworthy? I think it's mostly in the in the setup, in the disorientation in the beginning. I'm not sure that 
by the time we've gotten to the old nerve HQ and the grand piano by the tree. Um, I don't know. Maybe as we talk about it more, the movie, the sort of more cinematic specific elements will jump out to me. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the the piano sequence. Cause that's actually where it starts to feel the most like old Ava to me, mm-hmm. you know, yes. like, yes, it, especially in the animation style. Like they've got the sort of sketches of the horses running and the sheet music flying by and whatnot. And that's a more like abstract artsy touch that makes it feel very different than the sort of CG overload that the rebuilds generally lean into. Yeah. Um, So we should definitely talk about Kaoru's place in this movie because it's kind of the, the selling point in a lot of ways. Uh, Joseph, you, you mentioned something interesting to me about how you thought on first impression that this is actually a, a desexualization initially of their relationship. Do you want to talk about that? Right. I mean, so full disclosure, maybe Justin doesn't have like the same reaction to this that I do, but I, I don't know. Like this is my favorite part of the movie and of all the rebuilds so far, period is, is because in this series, I love the episode with Kaoru, but their relationship seems like very rushed. It's very fucking fast. It's at warp speed. And here, even though there's there's more time, and so maybe that's what off put me, is like, I'm just used to Kaoru, like, knowing Shinji for eight hours and being like, I love you. <laughs> he never says I love you this this time, but, like, there is, at first, he seen and, and that off put me, right? Because it, it doesn't seem at first, like they have so much of a relant of a romantic relationship at the start, even though the piano scenes are very like seductive. Right. But they're jam sessions. Like there is like that, that thing between musicians sometimes that has this weird interzoneness to it. Right. So at the start, I was like, I like getting more Kaoru. I like their relationship having more of a gradual arc. I like this piano thing. But I, I don't want them to queer erase Kaoru. That's how I am at the start. And then Kaoru takes the choker from him. And I and I was like, this is the most twisted moment in the fucking rebuilds for me also. I was waiting for the, the twist in the plot that would actually like throw me for a loop. And what twists me is Kaoru takes the choker from Shinji and puts it on. I was like, oh my God, Shinji's the top. <laughs> I never saw that. <laughs> We love to interpret Evangelion, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> this is the kink Ava. This is this is the weird. That is one. like the most tender moment. It's the, specifically the motion that Karu makes when he slips his hand around Shinji's neck mm-hmm. is the most tender moment in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe it's just the translation, but I also the line that he says after he takes it off is like. I was bound to take it from you eventually. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. That is that is what he said. I was about yes, yes. Can we? But can we talk for a minute about how like part of what makes Kaoru like off-putting but also charming in this movie is how obviously he is like a stand-in for Anno breaking the fourth wall. To me, like it seems like so many of his lines of dialogue just seem to be. It's Kaoru talking to Shinji, but it's Anno talking to the audience about the movie let me let me just i think i've got a quote here 
Right. It's all the stuff about how to get good at playing piano and Correct. how to like practice and fail. Yeah, don't and... be afraid to fail, right? He specifically mm-hmm. is like, you, you, you can't be so nervous about not sounding good. You just have to do it. Right. Right. He says, don't worry about playing well. Just create sounds that feel good to you and then keep practicing. Just repeat the same thing over and over until you're happy with the way it makes you feel. And I'm like, that's stop telling me to like Rebuild 2. Shut up. <laughs> like, that was my problem. But, like, but it's cool that you're talking to me. Like, I, I'm happy for that. I have I have a very, I feel like I have a very different take on Kaoru in these movies. We could we could make this whole episode just about Karu because he really is sort of the heart right. and soul of this movie, right? But I think two characters in Rebuild Three weirdly get saddled with having to fill in the gaps of Ryo Ikaji. I think on one level it's Mari. The more superficial elements, all of the weird double, triple cross stuff, all of the cheekiness that Mari does is kind of Kaji-like. But the stuff that's more, you know, the more sentimental moments, right? Like when Kaji sleeps over with Shinji or mm-hmm. Kaji's speech in the watermelon patch to Shinji. Right. All right. of that stuff, the stuff that Karu says to Shinji in this movie feels more like Kaji, like OG Kaji, than it feels right. like the OG Kaoru to me. And it's because... Like when he's explaining the piano, for instance, right? There's a scene right after that where it starts getting dark. And Shinji's like, well, why don't we just stay out and look at the stars? And Karu's kind of befuddled. He's like, why do you like looking at the stars? And Shinji explains. And Karu kind of negs him, right? He kind of says, oh, I see. So you're afraid of change. So you like looking at the the vast, unchanging nature of space from your... Ah, I see. That sounds kind of dumb but whatever you know he says something that's a little (laughs) he says something that's a little condescending and then i Mm -hmm. think he spends the rest of the movie like i'll put it like this in the original series the reason i get sort of hung up when people talk about shinji karu and love in the original series is because to me karu is very much not love right if you look at the progression of the angels um, in the original series, the thing that they're trying to do, for the most part, it's a straight line. Every time they're trying to get a more intelligent and precise understanding of of what humans are, what the human soul is, what human anxieties are. And so Kao is like the culmination of that, right? He sort of immediately reads Shinji and he immediately knows how to get Shinji to lower his guard. I think in this <laughs> movie, though, Karu is less about being this uncritical, like, I love you, even though you haven't really done anything. He's less of this uncritical, I love you, I just showed up out of nowhere, and I love you for who you are. And he's more sort of there to tell Shinji how to get his shit together, right? right. So many yeah, of those right. scenes are Karu being like, you know, you you could use a little bit more confidence. You need to think more about how you're going through life. In that it's it's there's a lot more direction in the stuff that Karu says, and it's the kind of direction that Kaji was consistently there to give Shinji in the original series. Totally, yeah. There's a really telling line, like when Kaoru takes Shinji down another descent to like look at the ruined world, and he says, "This is the truth that you were looking for. You right. cannot escape your past." Right. And that, to me, is like the defining line of the movie. It's kind of like the the reference to the title. It's like you cannot, right? 
I know? think he says redo. I think do. it's the roll credits line, right? I yeah. think he says redo, <laughs> right. right. Huge guitar solo, you know, <laughs> fade to black, yeah. Fly Halfway me to the, the moon. <laughs> yeah. right, right. Um, but I'm with you with all of that. I just want to complicate that in one way because the most Kaji scene in the movie is Shinji playing Shogi with yeah Yutsuki. <laughs> yeah yeah and that's also like a scene I I really like yeah, because I, like I don't I don't know in that moment I was like I kind of wish I got more of Yutsuki with the kids in this series I think in general of every single stage like especially in End of Ava though right with Fiyutsuki all of this the fact that Gendo just leaves right in the beginning he's like I have stuff to right. do so Fiyutsuki's in charge <laughs> like that whole series where the, where the where End of Ava is about Fiyutsuki Ibuki all of the people in the command center I was like this is the show I want to watch give me right. this spinoff series about Fiyutsuki and the lieutenants right <laughs> yeah Right, like that whole incredibly charming sequence in the show of the the spider angel, like before the blackout strikes, of them just around in Tokyo yeah. and him being like the disgruntled <laughs> boss on the subway. It's like, yes, I love that stuff. I love it, yeah. <laughs> and now he's super old in this movie. Fiyutsuki's, yeah, mm. the oldest character in this movie, obviously. Um, yeah, but no one's, but somehow no one has, has aged. They've just gotten haircuts, right? Yeah. Like, it still off, it still off puts me that they need to, like, put that line in where Asuka says, oh, I'm still 14 because of plot reasons. Very hand wavy, right? Whereas, like, honestly, like, I looked at the way her character was drawn with the lines under her eyes, and I was like, you could have just played it like this is her when she's 30. Yeah, yeah. And I would have been happy with it. Yeah. That to me makes it feel more deliberate though. And again, I, I'm going to keep harping on like the metatextual stuff here of like these characters cannot age because they're stuck in this constant retelling of Evangelion. You know, like Anno is going to keep these characters constantly preserved because the story has to keep going. And like if he's going to return to these characters, they're going to be kind of frozen in amber. And that's the curse of Ava as Oscar puts it, you know? Right. But that would make more sense to me if, to me, that the, the character for whom that makes sense is Shinji himself, right? And it makes sense, obviously, mm -hmm. on the yes. plot level because of the time skip. And you can, you can rationalize that, um, but it's also because of the nature of Shinji's character in this movie, right? Being somebody who is really struggling to reconcile himself to the idea that you were gone and things happened and they didn't involve you and we don't need you, Right. Whereas with Asuka, especially because Asuka is the character in this movie who most explicitly articulates this idea, right? That Shinji, things happened. We had to deal with stuff. We had to survive, you know? It's the fact that Asuka... It, I mean, Asuka still has Asuka flaws, right? She's not... It's not like she's achieved some adulthood nirvana. But she has grown up in a way that Shinji has not. And so the fact that she also doesn't age alongside Shinji aging, that is what makes it feel kind of janky on a conceptual right. level. Exactly. Sure. Yeah. Exactly. Um, one, Just one small note, because I think it's going to get lost otherwise with Asuka, is the the comment about the light in the opening fight sequence. Yo, yes. Where, <laughs> like, we, we get, like, the reverse of the, the Ariel fight where she's descending to fight the angel from space. Like, she literally has the upper hand yeah. in some ways. And instead instead of the light, like, revealing some sort of dark past that she has to grapple with, one, that dark past isn't really in these movies in the same way. 
And well, the so, doll is. The doll is the only the memento do- of it, yeah. Now it's a hand right. puppet. Yeah, hand puppet. Sorry, now right. it's a hand, hand puppet. puppet. A she change I don't it. quite understand. Oh, I see. Oh. Oh, now that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> and so instead of it being like this thing that like fucks her up, she's just like, ah, shit, like the light. Ah, that's like frustrating, but I can deal with it. Yeah. You know, and I think that kind of is a, another uh, example of this sort of Asuka is grown up in a way that the things that would have fucked her up as a 14 year old aren't going to do that to her now. It's the same with the, it's it's the light from that angel, but it's also the fact that the, it's the angel is a ribbon. And in the mm-hmm. original series, like her encounter with the ribbon angel is that the ribbon slices her arms off and then slices her head off. Right. Right. I right. Think, yeah. Yes. Going back to the Shogi scene, which is fucking terrifying. Like one of the creepiest scenes in the, any of right. these movies, really disturbing stuff. Cause it's like they're in the interrogation room, right? It's in the all black mm. room where you're not sure it is. It's like, are they in an interrogation room playing Shogi? <laughs> Probably. Yeah. They just cleared it out for the day. No meeting with Zele. So, you know, you can use it for <laughs> meeting with Shinji instead. Right. By the, it's like, by the way, this is where your mother was, was, uh, you know, forcibly inserted into an alien entity. Yeah. Uh, it's here. I just didn't turn the light on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Click that for you. Uh, one other kind of cool Easter egg thing in the photo of Yui that uh, Fusuki shows to Shinji. I think you can see Asuka's mom in the same picture. Like there's a redheaded oh, woman. Oh, yeah. Looks I was wondering who that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was another That's, character who I thought I was guessing who that was. I didn't think of Asuka's mother. There's who who did I think of instead? I can't remember. But yeah, I did pay attention to the fa- to the other faces in that. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about the woman who you only see the back of their head, right? You see sort of the side yeah. of her her head, long red hair, and done in the same way as Asuka in the original show. Okay, at, but just wearing glasses instead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You That's know, an interesting. Go ahead. No, it's just that when Fusuki's talking about Yui, he he says something, you know, he he's like, you were there. You were there when this stuff happened with your mother, when you lost your mother, but your memories were erased. And right. I actually think that's one of my least favorite moments because it's sort of in the, you know, the way that this series otherwise talks about repressed memories and feelings. I feel like the more natural thing would be this happened and you've maybe repressed it. it. It's just weird that Fiyutsuki gestures at the idea that some mad scientist did a procedure to wipe his memory as opposed to it being a sort of, of course, if you're a kid and you see that happen to your mother, you, you disappear that memory to a distant place. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I think that in general, the rebuilds sort of do a lot of redactions on the like deeper psychological stuff that's happening in the show and kind of like wave away how we would have gotten to this point. And in general, I think it's interesting that they even decide to bring Shinji into this knowledge. Like Shinji goes throughout the entire show and end of Eva without actually ever knowing what happened to his mom Mm -hmm. or what the deal is with Ray. And here Futsuki just sits him down and just, Tells it to him straight. Yeah. I, I thought that same thing. I was like, wait, is this the first time Fusuki's anyone has like explained to him what the human instrumentality project actually is and does like in like a cut and dry like way? Yeah. I was like, I can't believe that's we named the podcast after it. And I didn't realize no one tells Shinji about it in like a deep way, <laughs> yeah. except for like maybe Misato like tossing it off in a in a jargon blast. 
mm-hmm. right? It also kind of, the, these movies really reduce the Ava as surrogate mother theme. Yeah. Uh, they really don't make as much of a big deal about it. And I actually think that what they do with unit one is really cool in this movie in replacement of that. But it's because these movies, I think, are trying to tell something else that they sort of throw the Freudian shit to the sideline and just sort of explain it through lore dumps instead of making it like a developing arc over the course of the movies that the, the way they did with the show. Yeah. But you talk. OK, so they throw. I agree with you in that description of it. Right. They they throw a lot of the Freudian elements to the side. But then what are they replacing that with? Right. That's the tricky part. Um, And I don't think they have a clear answer in the first two movies. Mm -hmm. And I think this one, Kaoru's life lessons that he's telling Shinji are sort of the thing that at least this movie posits in, in, in its place of saying like, you can't undo your past. You just have to sort of live with the mistakes that you made. The, phrasing that you would say if this was not in the world of Evangelion would be, it's not the end of the world if you fuck up. The difference being an end of Ava, it actually is the end of the world every time she, she makes a mistake. <laughs> right. But but at the same time, it's interesting that this this movie feels like what it, what it replaces with is it is directly responding to like what was being expressed in the first one in critiquing it in a way that I like. Which is by reversing the the fan dynamic people like to make fun of, right? People like to be like, get in the robot. I won't do it. Yeah. This is the inverse movie. This is the movie where it's like, whatever you do, do not get in the fucking robot. <laughs> because every time you do, you break something, you idiot. And I actually, weirdly enough, like that is kind of like a mature adult thing. People who can't handle their liquor stop drinking, right? It's like, it's like the same idea. It's like, every time you do this, it's, trouble please have the maturity and wherewithal to know when you're ahead and quit okay it's it's just part of growing up and it, mm. it's not going to stop you from like moving forward quit looping things quit rewinding your stupid fucking cassette player yeah. we're streaming music now <laughs> <laughs> well to me it's also that a lot of what Kaoru says to Shinji is a corrective to the, you know in the beginning of the movie right you're dealing with Masato, Ritsuko, Asuka glaring at Shinji and mm-hmm. like you said telling him don't get in the Ava you you messed up the last time everything's bad now don't get in the Ava and Karu comes along with this lesson of you have to you have to learn from your mistakes and you have to own up to them but also you can't just stay in place because you made a mistake you need to find a way to move mm-hmm. forward and to me when I think about what Ava 3 is responding to in the original series. I think in the original series, it's easy to get sucked into the protracted interrogation part of it, right? Every episode, or almost every episode, set aside Magma Diver, right? But these episodes are saying, what's wrong with Shinji Akari? And then later, what's wrong with Masato? What's wrong with Asuka? You know, how can they sit with themselves and sort of examine their faults, examine their pathologies, figure out what's going on. What are the traumas that are causing these things? You know, what's wrong with these people, right? Feels like it's the, 
<laughs> the question of the original series. And to me, the Karu stuff in Rebuild 3 is him saying, oh, you know, if you think the only thing to life is understanding yourself, that's not quite it. Because you don't have all the time in the world. And apart from the part where you sit in the bathtub or you sit in the folding chair and you go, oh, what are my traumas? What are my memories? What are my problems? You also have to be doing the the work of moving through life. You have to get Mm -hmm. out of the chair at some point. And to me, I don't know. It's You sort of look at Asuka, right? And Asuka, I said Asuka has grown and Shinji hasn't. And that's why it's weird that Asuka hasn't aged. Asuka growing up, you know, she's not totally mature, right? She punches the glass when she sees Shinji. She she still doesn't, she doesn't totally have it together, but she survived, right? And it's the same with Masato. In some ways, like, Masato has learned how to be more in charge, but now she's kind of Gendo-like, and Gendo's not exactly the best role model in the world, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she survived. And I think that's sort of the upshot, is, like, apart from uh, the upshot of the the Karu stuff, right? Is that apart from self-discovery, you actually have to do stuff. You have to do stuff. You have to, it's not enough to have the information of, oh, it's because my father left me and I'm, I'm seeking the approval of my father. Fine. But what are you going to do about that? To me, seems right. like what Karu's getting at. Right. It's to me, this is weirdly enough like the closest analog in like recent pop culture i could find is is the last jedi yeah right because what i what i like and i i know that movie is like controversial for reasons whatever um but the reason i like it is because it, it it's like a faithful loving recapitulation of of the source material but at the same time delivered with uh like a twist that says you know the the black and white morality that we set up in the first trilogy is actually not perfect and life has shades of gray and your feelings with people who like have different you know motivations than you are going to be complicated but you can work through them and you don't need to do it with childish violence right yeah which is exactly to me what pissed people off about that film right what I like about this rebuild is it is it does add in this critique that you've mentioned, right? It adds in this like self-understanding, self-awareness is necessary. However, move. Yeah. And it's the whole move forward. It's the whole gist, right, of Masato's speech in the end of Evangelion, right? She spends mm-hmm. so much of the series before that trying to understand Shinji and trying to get Shinji to understand himself. But in that last scene with Masato, she says no, uh-uh, you're out of time. It doesn't, right. at this point, things have gotten too out of control. Like, we don't have time for you to sit here and undergo another train of thought. You have to make a decision and you have to act, right? And I that's what I feel right. about the Rebuild movies is that they're kind of expounding on that idea of, you know, self-awareness, self-actualization is one thing, but what are you going to do about it? And you see Misato really in, embody that, too. Like, it's it's a, it's like a cheesy anime moment, but, like, when Unit 13 is, like, deifying and she rams the fucking Vilay shit, the Vunder, into yeah. it, I actually kind of, like, it's corny, but I also kind of like it because it kind of is, you've got to imagine them in the bridge being like, 
You know, the last three times one of these things went full power, nothing stopped it, right? What makes you think we're going to do it? And she's like, fuck it. Everything we can. Why mm. not, right? We're all going to be turned into goop anyway. <laughs> Ram it and start shooting at it. Fuck it. Do something. What? Yeah. Yeah, all I have exactly. is a battering ram and guns. I might as well use them. Well, they also have unit one inside of the ship, which I think is a really, really nice touch because there's this kind of like cyclical thing that happens of like, so Nerve is using angels to create Avas or the Avas are then used by (laughs) Ville to defeat Nerve, you know, like it's this like man conquers this thing and does something bad with it. But what if we can then take that and use it against the people who are doing something bad with it. It's like this back and forth between the two of them. And the contrast between the two organizations, I think is really, really fascinating. It's one of the things that I liked the most on this rewatch of this sort of like everything in nerve is automated, you know, like Shinji has the boxes that deliver his clothes and like take away his food. And there's like elevators and all of that. They but show that long conveyor belt. There's the, the weird sidewinder conveyor belt. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everything in uh, in Villa is manpowered in some degree. Like it's a bunch of people working together to do something and taking action in the way that Nerve is just repeating this death cycle over and over and over and over again. And there's that really bizarre sequence with Gendo and the Zele cubes that sort of implies that this has been like a cycle that's happened like much longer than any of these characters have been alive. I have actually have no idea what the fuck is going on with, with Zele in this movie. Do you, the two of you have any theories about that? No. Why don't you go first, Justin? No, it's like, you're right there. The implication, I, I feel like that entire conversation, you, you mean the one where they slowly deactivate each one of the, the panels? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they talk about it. You know, I think in the original series, they talk about the Human Instrumentality Project as a 15-year plan, whereas in this, in this, they talk about it more of a 15,000-year plan. Right. <laughs> I feel like it's what you're getting at. <laughs> and yeah, there, there's, it feels even more religious. It feels like they're kind of, everything Sele says and does is based on a third-hand knowledge or sort of really sketchy source material from the Bible, <laughs> right? From right. Like the Book of Enoch. You know, that, yeah. There is something, there's, there's the, the, the sense of agency just feels so different, right? In, in the original series, Sele feels so like they're in charge, they're, they are driving this thing. Whereas in this movie, I don't know. It feels a bit more passive. And a bit more YOLO. <laughs> right. God feels absent on every level. Yeah. To yeah. I agree with that. Yes. Like Shinji goes, you know, he makes the decision to, to go with nerve instead. And Gendo just says one thing, like you're going to pilot the Ava when it's time. Peace. Yeah. And goes back into his cave. And then he goes to see Zele and he's like, Zele has been silent the whole time. So both in both senses, both of them have received instructions from an absent source to some degree. Yeah. There's this kind of like doubling there again with the, the Gendo and Shinji parallel relationship uh, that I think that this movie kind of zooms in on the way that we talked about, but I'm not sure what it adds up to. Like the, I find the ending sequence to be very confusing. Like the differences between 
Nerve and Zele's plans once again sort of eludes me. This is true in the original series, though, right? <laughs> With Zele and Gendo, and they're competing, and you're like, wait, whose plan is what? I don't know. <laughs> it's funny because I, I, we rewatching the series, and I thought I understood it about 90% of the way. I've texted, Ian knows what I'm going to talk about, because I've texted him about it. I thought I understood it about 90% of the way, and I was like, the 10% I don't get has to be that, I, that I've never, like, took, like, a master's course in Kabbalistic history, and also that, like, I am not an expert in right-hand path-fucking magic, right? <laughs> like, I've, I know a lot about Aleister Crowley, but I've, I've not, like, attempted to do battle on the astral plane with Karanzan. Like I have, I've never done that personally. Right. So I just figured like only people who've like done that will understand the end of this or whatever. Right. Then I watched rebuild one and they make a few little tweaks, but at the end of rebuild one, I thought I understand the metaphysics. They've all clicked. I figured it out. And then at the end of two, they just throw all of it out. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. When they're descending into like the Lilith chamber, like I've I've lost all of I've lost all of grasp I thought I had on the divine mystery. But I like the difference is at this time. Did you guys get that? Like those canisters that Futsky's pulling out. Those are Zele. They never show them in the rebuilds. They're not humans. Mm-hmm. Those are their nervous systems in in container fluid. Right. 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 So they they also haven't aged, right? They're they're caught in a yeah. loop too. They're in suspended animation. And to me, this sort of seemed to me like they're in the way that like the mass produced Avas and End of Evangelion like turn into rays and commit ritual suicide with their own weapons. I thought that's Zele with this process is them being like, yep, the end is the beginning. The loop will continue. This is our ritualistic suicide. And to do that, we just kept silent and let you kill us. To that, what that end? That was my interpretation. I don't know. I don't know. I don't understand I also don't understand why are neither of these the spear of Longinus or the spear of Cassius? Well, okay. Like they never explain where the spear of but, Cassius came from in the first place. But the best thing, okay, so the best thing I will say about this movie, right? To like to this point to sort of salvage what you're what you're getting at here. Consistently throughout the movie, Shinji is is being forced to contemplate a and B choices when he realistically doesn't understand either choice and in fact does not understand the conflict. I think it's notable in the beginning, right? Like right before he leaves Villa, you know, Masato does after not explaining anything, she tries to in that moment during the sort of air fight, try to briefly explain like, look, we are opposed to nerve. We are Villa. We're opposed to nerve. And immediately Shinji over identifies with nerve. She's like, why would you want to do that? And meanwhile, he's been, he knows he's been out for 14 years, right? It doesn't occur to him to say, well, what, ha- like what's going on? Why are we fighting nerve? He just immediately sort of takes a side in this conflict that he clearly doesn't understand. And it feels like as the movie goes on, he's constantly like the, the spears of Longinus and Cassius, right? Where he and Kara are tasked with retrieving these things. And he's going along with it, even though he doesn't realistically 
like Karu sort of teased to him the idea of of undoing what he's done, but Shinji doesn't really know what's going on, right? And even I think there's a sequence before they get in the dual fitted unit together where it's Shinji walking down a hallway and he's hearing the echo. First you hear the echoes of, of we all know and love of idiot Shinji. Like you mustn't run away. You mustn't run away. But then it's sort of crossfaded with people yelling at him about you, you can't get in a neighbor. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have the conflicting things of get in the robot versus don't get in the robot. And it feels like that, by that point in the movie, I just found myself on rewatch thinking a lot about how, you know, that feeling of not understanding exactly what the difference between what Sele's designs are and what Gendo's designs are is that's a thing that's constantly being imposed on Shinji. It's not Correct. just that people yeah. tell him what to do and don't feel like they have to explain themselves. It's that the things that people want him to do at this point, like don't really make sense and are in conflict with one another and there's no coherence. Right. And this is just sort of debilitating to Shinji because if the whole, if the series is sort of trying to get him to be authoritative and make decisions, this movie is only kind of further undermining his ability to do that because it, it's just sowing confusion about what even is going on. Right. What even the sort of political end game of any of this is. Sure, but Karu does give him, like, direct, clear and direct guidance. Multiple, like, that is the frustrating thing about the climax of this one to me, is that, like, very clearly, multiple times, Karu is like, mm, do not pull those spears out. I think this is a trap. Like, but then again, he says it, like, four but then, times. But he says, he does, but he also says it in this way of, like, oh, wait, I'm having a headache. Uh, <laughs> give me, right. Give me a few seconds. You know what I mean? It's... It's the same thing. It's the same pattern repeating itself of Kaoru for most of the movie saying, yeah, if we do this together, it's going to work. And then at the last minute saying like, wait, maybe we shouldn't do it. And so once again, Shinji has these conflicting impulses and he keeps repeating like, I wouldn't be back in the Ava if it wasn't to do this. So I'm going to do it. And it's almost like once he's back in the Ava, I think actually your, your comment about it being similar to like addiction is really apt. Cause like once he's, off the wagon he's going to cause the end of the world again you know right like that's exactly it like masato wasn't wrong (laughs) yeah (laughs) it was like rude to put an explosive choker on his neck (laughs) however she was not wrong (laughs) i don't blame her are we i'm a comrade masato tanky now (laughs) put the battle royale ripoff merch on everybody And yeah, it's like he defaults to taking action. Like once he goes, starts going down that path, he cannot consider not doing anything again. Like he takes the maxim of like moving on and making choices without considering the repercussions yet again. So he is redoing like his own previous actions. He can't undo would be maybe a slightly more apt way of titling the movie, but it's sort of, that's kind of the fun twist, I guess. Please do not redo. Yeah. <laughs> we We're would, begging. We you. would prefer if you not redo. Be kind. Do not rewind. <laughs> Leave it at the end of the tape and throw your cassette player into blood sand, yes. which I like. <laughs> yeah, I'm, the cassette is a really interesting. Like you can tell, everything starts going sideways once the cassette is fixed. Like right. Yeah. 
once Kaoru fixes the cassette, that's when he shows him the the ruined world. That's where he has the like the horror movie reveal of wearing Toji's shirt. I, all of that happens because he decides to fix the thing that repeats as a loop forever, which is a nice metaphorical touch. Yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, please go. Well, on, no, sorry. it's just that that's the kind of thing that is lost on me. I think back in the day when I first watched Ava Three, right? Because I think otherwise, it's easy to look at the cassette taper, the cassette player, right? in these movies and go oh they're constantly they're constantly cutting to this cassette player because they know it's a thing people associate with shinji akari from the original series right and every Mm -hmm. other shinji akari desktop wallpaper is him like in bed with his cassette player (laughs) right Right. and yeah i think for a long time it 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 just took me a long time to sort of sit with it and go what are they doing with this right to pay attention in this movie between the difference in how, like, when they cut to Asuka's hand puppet, the doll, right, that in the original series is associated with their mother's suicide, you know, every time they cut to that doll with Asuka in this movie, it feels more like that's the the only thing that she has held on to from that from her from her childhood right and otherwise she's this badass hardened sarcastic vulgar person but she allows herself this one thing whereas Mm -hmm. the cassette tape player right is is basically the only thing for shinji right he constantly retreats into it he he constantly like from the second movie you know ray has to salvage it and masato gives it back to him then you know Karu has to fix it. He's constantly taking it into the Ava with him, despite the the Ava cockpit being a dangerous place. And then at the end of the movie, like he drops it, and Ray has to go back and get it for him, right? And I don't know. There's something to that to me that it's so they're both these the doll and the cassette player are these mementos of childhood. But the difference is that Asuka has a pretty healthy relationship to her doll. Whereas Shinji is just like people are constantly having to clean up after his cassette player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is like a moment in Rebuild 2 where they kind of like overly literalize it or he like just basically explains the metaphor yeah. of like, oh, I, My- I put on these headphones and I shut the world off. It's like, okay, yeah, yeah. Like we've all done we all have had iPods for long enough now that like this metaphor is too obvious. Like you don't need to explain this to us, but I like that they, I understand why they included it because it makes, it adds the shorthand of that into this movie, Yeah, you know? So they kind of, they had to put their cards on the table and rebuild two to explain what the cassette player symbolizes so that in this movie, they can just do it very quickly and it can add on all of the other resonances that you're talking about. Uh, that it takes on, but I does Ray pick it up at the very end of the movie? I don't know if she does. Did I make that up? I for some reason think I always assume that she, because it's sort of like Oscar yanks Shinji by the arm and he drops it in the sand, and then Ray is like looking at it. Maybe I made up the mm-hmm. part where she's where she retrieves it. Uh, I, I well, think that even that is supposed to be sort of like this isn't the same Ray. To some extent, yeah, yeah, like yeah. the yeah. previous Ray would have picked it up. But right. this Ray, who's just coming to realize that she's not who she thought she was, right. is kind of like left with this question mark of whether to pick it up or not. Yeah. By the end. Well, of the, the, pre- the previous Ray took it to fight Zero well with. Right. right? Mm-hmm. She it, which is like the weird. That's a really interesting 
bit, they add more significance to the cassette player because there is that strange thing where Misato's like, yeah, for some reason, Unit 1 re-spat out your cassette thing, but it was never in that entry plug with you to begin with, yeah. so somehow, like, it, you mm -hmm. got it from Zeruel's core. Why they didn't, like quarantine that thing is is strange to me just in like the plot logic of the show but the other thing i didn't realize is and maybe this is new to the rebuilds but they explicitly say in this movie that the cassette player was gendo's first yeah yeah right yeah yes they definitely say that now was that in the series am i misremembering in the original series no they never okay. mentioned anything about the cassette player it's just a prop really well that just that just adds again this like weird sinister shadow to that object right this is this right. is like your dad's it's totem not, it's not just his childhood but he's taking along something of gendo with him at all times too right. like he's carrying gendo with him it's a resonant object it's a mm -hmm. it's a magical object in that in that in the same way that the spear of longinus would be right. in terms of plot significance now so where do we feel like it all ends up at the end of this movie, knowing that we've got this fourth movie that none of us have seen yet? Uh, do, well, do we find the end satisfying on its own? And where do you think it leaves us with 3.0 plus 1.0? Well, can we can we talk about the actual action of the ending? <laughs> sure. I think from, yeah, 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 yeah. from Kaoru's head getting blown off. Oh, like, yeah. We rip. should talk about that. Yeah, because that, that moment to me... Um, it's not just that Shinji has to watch Kaoru's head get blown off, but it's the fact that there's the divider, right? It, it, mm. The blood splatter reminds me a lot of the Zero fight from the original series, right? When Unit 1 slices the AT field and then the blood splatter hits the AT field. And mm. It feels like that's the visual language of it, right? It's not just that Shinji watches Kaoru die, but it's that that blood splatter is just reinforcing that that transparent barrier between them and he can't get to Kaoru right and in right. fact the blood totally obscures his final bit you know what I mean you don't see Kaoru because there's just so much blood on the on the glass um mm -hmm. and I think that's that to me is the most potent moment and then you get into the Ava on Ava violence of the, as like Oscar shows up again and is basically fighting Ray right Ray with the scythe in yeah. Unit Nine, Jesus Christ, the scythe a little on the nose, but okay. Yeah, because when you <laughs> first see Karu in his unit just sitting with the scythe, I'm like, this is some band that a a scythe. Giving Ava scythes now? Oh my god. <laughs> um, the scythe does not get as much usage as I would have liked to see. It gets knocked away pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm I'm okay with it, honestly. Um, like. It's cheesy. You know I wrote this in my notes. The like the moment when Asuka pulls up on Ray and shouts, "Who the hell are you?" <laughs> it's like that to me. It's like I don't I don't even fully follow the logic of the the Asuka Mari Ray battle, but I just think it's so well done on a on the visceral level. Mm -hmm. Right. I like having like all of the different types of Ava fights happening simultaneously. You get like Mari with the sniper rifle, you get mm -hmm, the hand to hand yeah. combat, you get the different blades and like the weird, like CG force field thing that is like rotating around unit 13. Yeah. That isn't really explained. Yeah. Kind they're, of they're, 
that's a Gundam reference. Huh. That's okay. so in in by the end of they're like the OP weapons in in Gundam, but they introduced them by the end of the original series and they've repeated in many of the Gundam series. They're bits. They're little drones right. that are controlled telepathically by pilots who have telepath abilities. Mm-hmm. Right? And so they can they can like create like force fields in between them as a triangle and also act as like little mobile guns. They also look almost identical to the weird unnamed CG enemies that Villa are fighting at the beginning of the movie. The spinning ones? Yeah. Like the little weird discs. Yeah. Like to me, those looked almost identical and I felt like that was kind of the uh, conscious choice, but I didn't know what to make of it. Yeah. I will say that one thing about the action sequence, even though, again, I think the the Sele on Villa political dynamic is a little. Uh, I I wish that more time were taken to developing it, but right, you know, I think even more than Kaoru, right? Asuka is the most straightforward mouthpiece for a lot of things, and what we we're talking about before of, yeah, you can do self discovery yeah, you can process your trauma and your memories and your childhood, but what are you going to do about it? It's sort of, it's mirrored in that fight with Rey and Asuka where Rey, by this point, she's overheard Shinji being like, that's not even the real Rey, dog. And Rey, (laughs) Rey for the rest of the movie in her true stoner fashion in this movie is like, damn, I'm not even the real Rey. (laughs) And then Asuka comes up and after she says the, who the hell are you? You know, Asuka's, Ray is kind of mumbling to herself and she's like, I don't know what to do. And Asuka has that line where she says, what are you going to do? Like, none of this matters. What matters is like, what are you going to do about what are you going to do right now? Ray's Ray's line is what would Ayanami do? Yeah, What would Ayanami do? And she says, that doesn't matter. What matters is what are you going to do? Right. Um, And she dips. She just gets the hell out of there. How does, sorry for me, maybe I'm not paying enough attention, but like I did make a note of this. How does Ray get out of unit nine? Just ejects. Like we don't even see her push a button. It's just like you just see the plug fly away. <laughs> okay. I guess I got, I guess I'm getting confused with also like Mari jumping on unit 13 and forcibly There's a ejecting. Lot going on. Yeah. There's a lot yeah. of ejector seats <laughs> in, in the action in this, maybe an uncomfortable amount for me. That's too mission impossible. Yeah, it's also, so there's that other sequence. It's, I feel like it's Mari's biggest moment in the movie, the Mari versus Shinji. Mm-hmm. I, f- I forget what Mari says, but that that's the moment where I was like, man, this really should be Toji, you know? Right, um, right. She, I don't know. She, it, it's also kind of, she sounds like Asuka a bit in that moment, but she's, she's, she's kind of... She's kind of doing the same thing Asuka's doing to Rey, where she's like, look, man, you, you need to stop being so naive. You need to pull it together. Right. You, you need to figure out how the world works, yeah. is I think the line that she says. And that would be a way more powerful line coming from Toji, especially considering like in the show, at least Toji has had to grow up way faster than any of like yes. is taking care of another person yeah. and like is navigating this much more complicated power dynamic than Shinji is like that would just hit way harder if we knew like, yeah, this person actually does have a better sense of how the world works. Right. You know, just coming from Mari, it doesn't feel like it comes from a place of anything other than the story saying to Shinji what needs to be said to Shinji. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Right. I know we're at the end of the movie, 
but we've missed something really fucking important. Oh, what do we miss? And so, and you you tinted at it, and we got to rewind back. For this oh, the Toji's sister. Toji's sister is yeah! in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Sucker is in the movie yeah, and she... has like a, like a scene. Mm-hmm. She's got like a like a we're trying to give her a best supporting actress <laughs> scene. All the dialogue in You're one she's, shot. She's Alec Baldwin in Glenn Gary Ross. <laughs> That's she right. She just comes in. <laughs> she spits a hot sixteen and is out. That's it. Piloting Ava is for closers. <laughs> you do not. <laughs> It's coming from this weird little nurse. I don't know why, but it's more effective. Yeah, it's weird. She's it's wearing she's... an outfit like it's from like the Poke Center in like a Pokemon game. Is what yes. her outfit looks like. Damn, Nurse Joy. <laughs> I guess I won't get in the Ava. Nah, just kidding. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Do, right do, here. Do you feel like maybe it's the intention of the movie to trick you into thinking it's Hikari first? Oh, is it? I don't know. I don't think I thought that's Hikari. I do miss Akari though. Yeah, I do miss Class Rep. She's like not in any of these movies at all, uh, which is really a bummer. It's tough. Again, yeah. shafted. Ritzko also shafted. Ritzko has what six lines of fucking dialogue. Right. She gets such a she gets such a butch haircut, and then I just assume she's going to be in. I assume she's going to be in the Ava three plus one a bit more. I would hope so. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, the to- I mean the Toji sister reveal is like. A great setup, even if we're sort of iffy on the execution of the the no aging time jump thing. Yeah. I think right. that is a really cool and effective way yeah. of of telling that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to to give us a character that we've literally never seen before and be like, oh, you actually know this person. Yeah, yeah. Very slick. Well, and Shinji being like, wait, little sister, don't you mean you must mean big sister? And she's like, no. That's a good. That's a good little turn there. Well, she also suddenly acts a bit more like a kid when talking about like, oh, that's my older brother, mm-hmm. which is a really nice touch. Really yeah. nice characterization there. Yeah. Let's see. Is there anything else we want to hit? Oh, another small note, just kind of like thinking about that action sequence of like Asuka going beast mode with unit two and it becoming like a cat. Yeah, right. with the tail pops out. <laughs> that is right. such a bizarre. Yeah, yeah. They do sort of set it up early with Asuka having the hat that has like cat ears. Yeah, on it. she yeah, mm-hmm. she's a weeb. Right. She's a damn weeb. We know this. <laughs> uh, it's cool that her little light goes on in her in her eye patch when Unit yeah. Two enters Beast yeah. Mode. That is when she she achieves the rank of Big Boss. Uh, <laughs> that is when she finally. <laughs> Um, but to me, the most notable. Okay, so we haven't talked about the the last bit, um, the empty, the basically like Oscar having to open the plug, right, and mm-hmm. pull Shinji out. Um, every other time in this series, when you have an outsider running up on the entry plug to force it open and get somebody out, usually it's these moments of desperation these moments of oh my god i hope you're okay and then this mm-hmm. one is like asuka being like motherfucker if you don't get out of here <laughs> it's like the <laughs> one time in this series where the person breaking into the entry plug has nothing but contempt for the person they're here to rescue right yeah usually i feel like it's kind of like a a, a womb allegory for yeah. the most part 
and in, in this one, it's like finally someone who's just like, no, I'm not going to baby you yeah. when you're coming out. Yeah, because she like, doesn't even pull. He's like, at first she opens it and then just leaves. <laughs> She's <just> like, <laughs> I'm, I assume you will get out of here, right? Like, I don't know. That's That was notable to me. Um, but then it's like, but Shinji at that point too, right? He just sort of curls up in the entry plug even once it's open. And I think I think the mo okay, so Kaoru dies, right? And there's there's the shot during the Shinji versus Mari battle where there's that weird cut to sort of like Kaoru or like the ghost of Kaoru kind of slipping away. Right. Yeah. He, right. And, Spiraling and, into the background. Right. And there's not much attention to there's attention to his Evo, but there's not that much attention to Shinji like on a on a shot of Shinji Akari level during that. But every scene after the moment where where Karu sort of zips away, the rest of the movie is him regressing back to, you know, Shinji Akari in the fetal position, refusing to make decisions, refusing to move, having to be dragged. Like that's the final Shinji we get. It's the most familiar mm-hmm. Shinji of the same Shinji that's being dragged around by Masato and End of Evangelion, right? Exactly. Um, right. Yeah, we, we've ended up back again at that part of the loop um, because Shinji's choice to pull out the spears to go on with, you know, the possibility of fixing his mistakes has only made the same mistake again and has killed the person that he thought he was going to be able to start a new life with yes. uh, in one way right. or another. And so the kind of hanging question is now that he's fucked up again, can he learn to get over? He's been given the lesson in this movie that you have to live with your mistakes and you have to do something with your life after them. And this movie is sort of leaving you with like, will he do it or will he not? It is leaving you with that. But I, and I have a question for you guys. So why tonally, one of the weirdest things about this movie is that, Despite everything you just said, right? Asuka, even though Asuka is giving him a lot of guff, there is this sense when when Asuka, Ray, and Shinji are walking away, because they have to walk back, right? Whatever reason they mm-hmm. can't just be evac'd out. So they have to walk together and they kind of walk off into the sunset, right? In that moment, to me, I read a sense of normalcy and I read a sense of, oh, these these people are together again, right? There is a mm. there is that it's always challenged and it's always loud and argumentative, but that classic Evangelion camaraderie among these three characters has been restored. And my question is why, right? Like if 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 their reaction to Shinji making the mistakes that he makes in Eva 2 is to shun him and scorn him and to not talk to him, or at least with Asuka, right? Mm-hmm. Why does Asuka seem so much more... I don't even know how to describe it. She seems more kind of at peace with the Shinji Akari that she's always known at the end of this movie. And yeah, she's kind of trolling him a bit, but that contempt is gone. Or it's a different kind of it's it's the regular right. old Oscar contempt rather than exactly the, you traitor contempt you know. Well, she had to get it out of her system, right? That's because that's her setup is like she wants to hit him in the face, but she can't. Everything's too guarded, yeah. right? And at the end, she finally like gets to slap him around, yeah. 
And that's sort of, that's the completion of her loop. Shinji's back to being like a fucking infant. He's back to the beginning of his loop. Ray has, Ray 3, now on her third loop, has learned something about trying to be like, trying to make an effort to be human and, and, and not like a machine. She's at the end of her loop. And so like, I think this is by returning to that feeling you get in the monster of the week episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think this is, this is like Anno teeing up like, okay, I can do a happy fucking ending. (laughs) We're back. We're back to where it started to go dark. I can fix it. I promise. Even though this is a whole movie about stop trying to fix it. Yeah. There's, I think that there's some uh, monster of the week is a good thing to bring up because now we're like an apocalypse of the week. Like it means one thing when Shinji tries to end the world the first time, but now that it's just something that he will do anytime he gets the chance, you kind of know what you're getting with him. And like, there's almost like apocalypse fatigue in this movie. Like by the time fourth impact starts, it's like, Oh yeah, another one of these. Okay. And like, that's just accepted of like, this is this guy's problem. And for all of the more articulate reasons that Joseph laid out, they're now on an equal playing field again in a way that like they're not at the end of Rebuild 2. Yeah. In fact, one of my favorite moments of this movie is, is toward the end where it's sort of Gendo and Fiyutsuki are talking and Gendo's sort of like, OK, so I guess or we kind of won, right? And then it cuts to Ritsuko and Masato talking and, and Ritsuko being like, you know, I guess we, we technically won, right? It's like everybody <laughs> just sort of trying to act like, like, yeah, we more or less got what we wanted out of out of this movie. I think right. maybe, kind of, allegedly. But it's it's gotta stop though. Yeah. Like this is how many times has Gendo pulled out the Xanatos gambit? I don't know if that does that reference it, mean yeah, anything to I, either I, you I've guys. I've read enough TV tropes in my life to understand where you're coming from with that. Mm. My favorite TV tropes page. But it's either like, either we... way, I win. Setup where like either I lose and I win, or I win and I win. Mm-hmm. How can literally every single aborted apocalypse be according to plan? It boggles the mind. That's when Kaoru was. That's when he got that headache when he was in the cockpit. That's what he was trying to figure out. He's like, wait a minute, this doesn't. That his, his facial expression during that moment where he's just pinching his forehead is me during trying the entire to understand. Fight. Yeah. <laughs> It's him breaking the fourth wall again. Yeah, that's his, that's like, his purpose. Wait, what? Like, Whose allegiances are to what plan? I How don't. Can it... I've lost track of this again. I swear Gendo explained it to me at one point. <laughs> <sighs> Did you ever watch, um, have either of you ever seen Read or Die? No, Not I Not the series, the original OVA. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. The original OVA ends in, like, this is like, I love this energy, but this is like very Gendo energy in this movie. There's like a countdown to stop the rocket thing. Mm -hmm. And the bad guy has like a pocket watch that's counting down to 12 to the rocket. And it's 11, like 59 and they stop the rocket. And he's like, pretty good, but I got one better. And he just turns the little like (laughs) ring around the clock. And he's like, surprise, (laughs) I started it a second early the whole time and made it look different just to mess with you. And the rocket takes off anyway. I got that sense at the end of this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) 
Um, and, and that's why we've got one more movie left, I guess. <laughs> yeah, so what are our expectations for this final movie? Because I, I didn't even... I know that they did uh, months ago. They released, what was it, like the first 14 minutes of footage and I refused to watch it because I was just like, yeah. I, you know, I, I want to go in cold. Right. If I'm going to watch a movie, I'd like to watch the movie and not some of the movie, you know? So I, I don't know how I feel. Uh, initially I was like, this is going to be bad because I thought three was bad. But now that I like this movie and now that like my, my entire conception of this series has kind of been turned around the series of movies, rather, I'm kind of excited. I actually really want to see what he does to finish this off. And I'm like excited for Anno to leave this story behind and to be finally done with it. I hope, you know, and I hope that whatever conclusion he comes to the end of it, feels conclusive at least for him i don't assume it will be for the fans because it never is but maybe that'll be the sort of hanging question again i don't know I, i'm i'm really looking forward to it i, I think that like if this sort of happyish ending is any uh any signifier i'd be really happy to see a happy ending with evangelion i don't think it'll happen but i don't know we'll see no one wants to go out like kojima and metal gear solid right like, i think that's the real Thing with Anno in these movies because wasn't one of the things that held up this movie is that he went and made Shin Godzilla right and mm-hmm. and yeah it's that's that was the diversion I think he also did he do let me just double check but I think he may have done all the recording for um the wind rises right right yeah yeah, 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 yeah. that's right oh, I forgot that yes <laughs> right so he does the wind he's the main character in the wind, wind rises, rises yeah. right after <laughs> And then does Shin Godzilla wins the Japanese Academy Award for Best Director alongside Shinji Higuchi. And he also like I my understanding is he put off the production of four in order to do pre-production on Shin Godzilla 2. Okay, that is paused. It's not clear if they're going to stop it completely, but like when Legendary got the license to do Godzilla King of the Monsters and Godzilla versus Kong. Part of their license was you will not make a cinematic Godzilla movie at the same not make. You You will will not make make. (laughs) right. But there's you can find like the art out. Like he did extensive pre-prod for a Shin Godzilla 2. Right. And then I don't know if he was doing these concurrently. But instead of making Shin Godzilla 2, he's doing Shin Ultraman, which is like the trailers out there is going to also come out this year. Right. Because like four has been delayed for so long. Does that make four like the tenet of anime? I don't know. (laughs) Tenet is the tenet of anime. That movie is like should have been an anime in my opinion, but it it should have been Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. (laughs) You just get a weird... You just get a. I still haven't seen it, but part of me just hopes that Ryan Pattinson's gonna yell "the world" and then stop time. I know it's not gonna happen. I I just think, but I wish. I think with Otto though, he has so many things going for him at this point, and you, as much as one wants to see more Ava, I just want to see a lot of Otto stuff at this point. Mm-hmm. And I, I think right. it, I think this series, I think the rebuild movies are well served by what feels apparent in this third movie right that sense of moving on that sense of what are you going to do about it that sense of it's not enough to understand yourself you need to start taking responsibility for your decisions and learning how to 
to, you know, make make your decisions and move on. I I hope that that stuff gets doubled down on in yeah the last movie. You know, I mean, I also hope they do. I hope they justify Mari as a character. <laughs> that is the other thing I hope they do. In the movie. Um, My hopes for that are not high. Yeah, it's, personally. it's tough. Right. It's a very tough character. Yeah, I, I think one of you used the, the phrase painted into a corner and she does feel like the ultimate. That character was created and it has done nothing but kind of complicate the story that's being told with these movies. Lord knows what she will do in the, the next movie. She's like the wild card to me of the final movie in this. Um, right. She's the Charlie Day of the team now? <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. The, yeah, she kind of is the Charlie Day. She's got a bag of spaghetti in the cockpit. And just the entry plug. Uh, if any of them were going to eat cat food, it would be her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, e- not even cat girl Asuka. It's going to be Mari yeah, instead. Yeah, it will be Mari. Um, Weird. Yeah, I mean, big picture thematically, what I hope for, I agree. I, I hope that it feels like Anno is moving on. You know, I feel like it's we're, we're breaking the loop. We're getting out of it. And these characters can start actually growing up and living their own lives in some way. However, that needs to be told in the scope of Ava. But yes, like that, it, considering that that was the central idea of this film, I hope that either that pays off in the next film or if it is refuted, it is done so in a way that can conclude the series finally. Like, I don't want there to be further Evangelion shit. There after. shouldn't, yes, I agree. Yeah. That there this should has not. to be the end. Even though we explicitly uh, proposed a Fiyutsuki spinoff series. <laughs> I will allow that. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> However, aside from a Fiyutsuki spinoff series, I, I think there should not be any more Evangelion. I agree. Yeah. Um, have you, Charity, have you looked at the runtime? No. What, oh, what's the runtime? Uh, is this like Snyder Cut levels? Like, what are we talking about? It's, no, it's well, not actually, Snyder Cut. You know what? Cut, actually, if it were, though, I would actually feel more comfortable. I The longer this move, the longer the runtime you quote to me is, I think the more excited I will be. Because that's more room okay, to good. make a lot of stuff make sense that currently doesn't quite make sense. <laughs> if you tell me it's an hour 30, I might be a little frustrated. <laughs> no, it's it's two and a half hours long. Okay. Fuck I, yeah. I, yeah, let's, let's go. go. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> now they, but now that you put it that way, I actually, that does make me feel better because uh, I do think the end of this one's a little rushed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, like it's it seems like you're going you're really going to the fourth impact like pretty fast. The first time you tried to show the end of the world in one of these movies, it was a third of the movie. Yeah. Like yeah. now you're down to 30 seconds. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I am too. Well shit. I don't know if there's anything else left to say. If there's any f- closing statements that anyone wants to make, I'm happy to hear them. I'm, there's always more to be said about Ava, but I think we can we can leave it here. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well, my closing statement would definitely be thank you, Justin, for joining us. This has been an absolute pleasure. Yes. Yeah, uh, your perspective is is very helpful on sorting out these incredibly strange films. And uh, yeah, this is this has been a blast. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for absolutely, having me. dude. Thank you so much. And uh, and if any uh, listeners of this show haven't checked out Sound Only yet, please do. Yeah, wherever you get your podcast. Mm-hmm. Very very much enjoy it. And if you're tired of us making obscure heavy metal jokes, uh, you can get obscure hip hop jokes, <laughs> which I appreciate. We went 
in, we went through an entire episode with Justin and didn't reference a metal band once. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I had to put the lid on it. But next time, in the next episode, we will give the metalheads the fan service that they want. See you guys later. <laughs> How did you do that? Thank you for listening. If you liked the episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. If you want to share your thoughts on the show or about anything, really, email us at humaninstrumentalitypodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at anotheravapod and on Instagram at humaninstrumentalitypod. Extra special thanks to Kira Anderson for the graphics and web design. See you next week.